I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hi there, and welcome to the show. This is Once Upon a Gene, and I'm your host, Effie Parks. I'm so thankful to you for subscribing, listening, sharing, rating, reviewing, all the things for this podcast. You're in my gratitude bucket every day. I have an episode today that's close to my heart. She's my friend who's also a fellow CTNNB1 mama. She is whip smart and gentle and kind. Her little Urban is only two years old and she's done so much work to get a foundation going and our CTNNB1 gene in the hands of brilliant scientists and researchers to find a treatment for our kids. I think about where I was when Ford was two, how much my heart physically hurt in my chest every day, I know how fresh it probably still is for her, and I'm just stunned with her tenacity. She's blazing a trail for our kids, and I'm so grateful to her. Please enjoy my conversation with Spella Morosevic. Hi, Spella. Welcome to the show. Hi, Effie. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk with you longer than our little Facebook chats because I'm obsessed with you, and I just think you're the most amazing mom ever and you're just changing the world for our kids and I'm so grateful to you. So nice. Thank you. You know, I wish we would met in some other circumstances, but you know, you don't have to, you don't choose where you meet your friends. So, you know, I'll take even this if I have to with you. Yes. I mean, how else would I have gotten a friend from Slovenia? So. <laughs> <laughs> You're my second CTNNB1 mama on the show. It's been a while and I'm I'm really happy to be able to have this conversation with you and talk about our kiddos. So give me a little bit of background, Spella, and tell me about Urban. I know he just had a birthday. Yeah, yeah. He just turned two years. So it was on the 14th of the June. We had a big celebration um, in the city center of Ljubljana, but we'll get to that a little later. I think one of the most sweetest and loving little guy I have ever met. He was born actually like a perfectly and healthy boy. Before he was born, I had two wishes. <laughs> um, I wished that I would have a baby boy and I wished I would give birth with a smile on my face. And luckily, both of my wishes came true. But I forgot to wish that to have a healthy boy <laughs> because, you know, when you're at least when I was pregnant, I didn't imagine that, you know, there could be something wrong with my child. My husband is healthy. I'm healthy. We have a healthy family. We are we are young. You know, what can be wrong? <laughs> 
and um, my labor was perfect. He was given a perfect Abgar score, 9, 10, 10, you know, even better than my daughter. And for two, three months, uh, we were very happy family. It was summer and uh, we went to the seaside and enjoying each other. And then I realized around three months, you know, that uh, he was a bit heavy on my on my lap and that maybe, you know, he should be holding his head a little now. Uh, I had a daughter, so I knew that, um, you know, baby should be holding their head around two, three, four months. And he still wasn't doing any of that. And I, I it was at first, it was just a kind of a, a talk to myself. You know, I wasn't talking to my husband or my grandparents about any of those talks, things I had in my mind. But I just started checking to other children in the camp uh, in the summer, um, you know, if they're holding their head and then checking to the Google. And then there was one night and I have a picture of that night when he was getting a little a little more tougher in the trunk. And I said, OK, now he, it's, it's his time, you know, he's going to get stronger now. And then it came the next morning and he was again very loose. <laughs> And, you know, I thought, okay, maybe he will get there at his own pace. And I, you know, I got a little concerned, but not really so much concerned that I would be talking to anyone about this or, you know, even considering taking him to the doctor. So when I hear other mothers in the rare disease space talking about, you know, I felt it in my gut that there was something wrong with my child. I didn't have any of that. I was, you know, maybe just lying to myself or living in denial that, you know, he's fine. And then I took him to his regular pediatric checkup. At, it was three or four months. And the doctor, the doctor, before the doctor looked at him, um, you know, I told her that she, he still doesn't uh, hold his head up and that at moments his movements are not really connected. You know, when babies are born, their movements is kind of a disorganized, but eventually their movement should be more organized and should move more fluently. And his movements was still very disorganized. And I told her that, and before she looked at him, she said, it's okay, babies get there at his own pace. She was trying to comfort me. And then I remember the exact moment when she first looked at him and his movements and I saw the terror in her eyes and in that moment I knew that something is um, seriously wrong and she she said there at the same moment that something is wrong with him and that the problem is probably in his brain that he has a movement disorder. She ordered a um, brain scan and then we were headed to our, how much was it, six, seven months old path towards the diagnosis. Oof, that makes me so emotional. <laughs> I, just because it's so similar to so many of us listening, just the exact way from maybe talking ourselves out of worry, maybe being ignorant to it, to seeing the medical professional's face, even have a flicker of that terror that you felt. It's such a roller coaster, right? And you're just there with your sweet little baby and it's so early and you get these big, scary ideas of what's really happening. And 
you know, if I'm honest with myself, I don't think if I, I would made it, you know, like emotionally made it if I wouldn't be living in denial for a while, because it's just so much to take. It's like, it's not just, it's not just taking care of him for, you know, in the, in the wheelchair. It's not just that. It's just so many things. It's like, you know, also other people, it's also, you know, how is he's going to live without you you won't be here forever it's also you know ruining all of your dreams about you know going as a family hiking you know i'm i'm my family is just so active and you know we have to adapt it's just so many things that is with this it's uh it's really a lot to take in and for us it was six months it's still long but when I hear other parents saying and telling, uh, hearing that, you know, they go through several years with this, with this, it's, uh, it's unimaginable. But yeah, for us, six months, I think it was just the right amount of time to go from a probably a minor brain injury, which was told at the beginning and which we fully accepted, you know, maybe he won't walk, accepted always, but, you know, working brain, we can still play Monopoly or play chess or, you know, fun around. And then slowly moving towards seeing the CT NNB1 diagnosis, which first meant nothing, you know, just a few words. (laughs) And then seeing the articles and seeing the group of of kids kind of unable to walk unable to speak ever or speaking and speaking not understandable that was for me also very hard yeah and and after you know seeing those kids it was just you know mine is probably very mild we have a mild form right we we can't accept that he won't walk that he won't talk it's you know we we were looking at him at our sweet little baby and he was for us he was normal he just had this little this organized movement but you know we thought that maybe he will outgrow them at least a little and we also started with this experimental l-dopa treatment and you know, we thought that maybe because he started this so young, um, there was not one reported case in the literature with child being so young to, to try it. And we had so many hope, so much hope that he will maybe walk and maybe just be mildly developmentally delayed. But that didn't happen for us, at least. Yeah, I think the intro to the groups and finding finding all the other families is it's so 50-50, right? Like it's it's so full of hope and you found the people and you found these beautiful kids who literally look like brothers and sisters. I mean, Ford and Urban look like they have the same parents and, and they have the same laughter. And then there's the other side of it where you see what's really going on and you see the spectrum and the severity and what some of the families are dealing with more so than others. And it's also really sad. Mm, Yeah, yeah. And and exactly just like you said, I think now I came to realization that there are moments, (laughs) right? There are moments when you have a bad day, a moment when you see all those bad stuff that is here with you, like, you know, um, thoughts of uh, how would Urban look like if he wouldn't have that syndrome or, you know, thoughts like how will he be when you will be gone and thoughts like when he doesn't fall asleep 
three and four hours when you try after a very long day. And then those moments pass and then comes the moments when he laughs <laughs> and, and the moments when he's just so happy and so clueless of how many problems he has. And moments when, you know, he gives us so many kisses and so many cuddles and, you know, moments when you realize that there, you have only one life and you have been given this special child that, you know, not many parents have a chance to be given a special child with a special love and a special view of life. And so, you know, when there are good days, I think to myself, you know, how lucky I am to be, to met this beautiful little baby boy who loves me unconditionally and, you know, who gives me this special view on life when there are good days. <laughs> mm, yes, <laughs> every person is nodding along with you there and we all understand the differences of those days and what fuels you in those moments. And, you know, that kind of gets me to everything that you've accomplished so far in just a small amount of time since having him. And I wonder, is it the days that you're afraid and that you worry about what it's going to be like when you're gone or about his health in general that motivates you? Or is it the moments that make you so happy that fill you up so much that gives you that energy to do something? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. It's the moments when I feel angry. It's the moment when I feel hopeless. You know, I remember actually one specific moment when I just came to realization of what you just said. So it was two, three, four hours of putting him to sleep. And when I put him to sleep, he bites me. He bites me on my finger and... He bites me at just one very specific finger, which I have really, uh, it's really injured by now. But, you know, I, I try to dissociate my body from, from the hurt so he would go to sleep sooner. But it was the night that he just couldn't relax himself. And, you know, I felt hopelessness. I felt anger and so much of something, so much of energy of something that... You know, after he finally fell asleep, I think I was up all night and doing the research to finally get closer to the hope that we won't live like this forever, that, you know, I won't live like this forever, that he has to find some ways to comfort himself, to go to sleep. And it, you know, it's not just sleep, it's, you know, everything together. And it's those nights that I see him struggle to fall asleep and the days when he looks like he can't control his body and when he just looks like, you know, he, he needs a lot of support. Yeah. Oh, I understand that for sure. Being fueled by the injustice of it all and the anger of it all and just like hammering down on the computer and trying to figure it out. It's definitely a motivator. And and then, yeah, like you said, the next day, right? And like seeing your kids struggle and seeing them maybe regress and just feeling wiped out. It's intense. I think looking at it in the way of f figuring out a way to do something about it is such a healthy response, even if it is fueled by anger. Mm, yeah. And, and I remember, you know, before we before I started this um, foundation for our syndrome, 
I first started researching, you know, all of the all of the compounds that could increase beta catenin. I went from seal stem research to this what was it, this oxygen uh, uh, comora, uh, you know, the kind of a, the machine where you put your child to get a lot of oxygen. That's really famous. Mm-hmm. You know, then I and I, at first I tried physiotherapy. I made special songs for him to teach him how to sit and how to stand and how to hold his head before. You know, I I, I even learned how to how to massage. I took this special cl- class of massaging him. You know, all with this hope that you know maybe his tone will increase because all of those things kind of a uh, were. Uh, were holding promises that he will get better and better. But after a while, even now with physiotherapy, with this intense in physiotherapy that I'm still taking him, my hopes with that are really, really low. I don't think that any of those things will make my child be independent or, you know, even have a, a chance to promise <laughs> to promise something. Mm. You know, it, that that kind of reminds me of a parent that told a story about how she used to spend all this money on this special bottled water because she heard it would make seizures happen less. And like just all the things that we do to try to make one tiny thing a little better and all the big things we do that maybe aren't making that big of a difference either. It's hard to know where to prioritize things and where to spend your precious bandwidth on on moving things forward for the kids it's i think it ebbs and flows too right like sometimes some things feel so much more important than other things and sometimes you just got to give up on certain things for a while because they take too much from you Mm, yeah that's true and it's also you know all of those things even though they don't bring anything to your child at least for me it was that at least some of those things brought me some control and I think that control that even though, you know, Urban's condition is outside of my control, that gave me some strength to, at least I'm doing something to help him. Even at the end of the day, it's not really helping him, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Tell me about the birth of the foundation that you created, Spella, and tell me about how you even figured it out to like get started. So actually, I think it was because of you, Effie. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think I think you posted on our CTNNB1 group a video of Amber. Mm. Amber Freed. Yes, of her uh, GoFundMe page. Mm. And then I remember when I saw her video and I thought to myself, what? This is possible? Like a mother can start a gene therapy program? That's possible? You know, I didn't care about the money. I didn't care about the the effort that you need to put this. I just, I just wanted to know, you know, is this, is this possible? And, you know, is our gene good enough to be, or, you know, even possible enough to, 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 to do a gene therapy? I didn't have any idea what gene therapy is, <laughs> you know, even though I am a researcher, my focus is oriented in the psycho-oncology field. So I'm working towards psychosocial interventions um, to improve the quality of cancer patients' life. 
uh, you know, like mindfulness and psychotherapy. I knew how to read articles and I was studying biopsychology. So I had a little, a little clue about the hormones and the transmitters and, and a little knowledge about the biology of it. And then I said, you know, I need to speak to that mother. I need to speak to Amber. And I found her email and I wrote to her, Amber, we need to speak right now. <laughs> and she said that she's really busy and you know I understood her (laughs) you know she must be very busy if she's developing gene therapy for her child and then I said you know I'll take anything I'll take five minutes three minutes anything you had I just need to ask you a few questions and then she observed how desperate I am (laughs) so she (laughs) said uh you know maybe when I'm driving my kids to to kindergarten you can we can we can have a quick chat and then, yeah, we, we, we discussed and uh, she gave me an email of another parent in Europe. Uh, maybe she can help, he, help me. And she also included me into this uh, Slack um, program of the parents. And I think there slowly my path started to be born. I connected also to other parents and they took me through the path that's needed to be done in order to develop a gene therapy. So my first question was, you know, is our gene good enough to be for us to be doing a gene replacement therapy? And yeah, actually, that was the that was the only question that I needed to answer because everything else it wasn't for me. It didn't it didn't matter. You know, if something can be done, I will do it. I don't care about the effort. I don't care about the money. I, I don't care about anything. And so I first I knew the path. And then I decided to call the neurologist at the pediatric hospital in Slovenia. And he was the head of the neurology department. I, I got his number somehow. And, and then, you know, I told him, you know, I want to make a gene therapy for my son. And he said, uh-huh, okay, so go to the clinical trials. I think he didn't hear me well. He, he said, go to the clinical trials and enter CTNB1 syndrome and see if there are some gene therapy trials so you can you know enroll your, your kid to it and I said no 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 you don't understand I want to make a gene therapy for my child and I think he was quiet for some time so I said okay good he now understands me and then I said you know I have here the price list I know how much does it cost and I want to make it I'm determined will you help me and he said, yes, I will help you. And uh, he connected me to some Slovenian researcher known for his gene therapy uh, studies. And then one month later, we were on a Zoom chat discussing how we're going to make gene therapy for Urban and also for other kids affected with this syndrome. We were also discussing some other approaches. So there is the classical gene replacement therapy and there are some others uh, like transplacing and exon skipping. And there is also some new gene therapy. Uh, It's a tango approach where you target the healthy gene. And we were just listing all of the possible uh, gene approaches that could be possible for our gene. And the next thing I remember was going through all of the research articles that had gene therapy in the uh, in the title and just um, writing the names of the researchers and their emails <laughs> in an Excel sheet. Um, I think I had, I don't know, it was 
300, 400, I don't know, a lot of the researchers. So I had written down uh, the email and also their main research area. And then I think I took one or two months. I said I need to send this and be really well prepared. So I uh, did a systematic review of all of the published literature on CTNNB1 cases. So I did another Excel sheet and just write down the most common mutation and the clinical features and kind of a prepared a, a separate document just saying uh, how big the gene is, where is it expressed, uh, and what are the suggested gene therapy approaches. And then I started sending the emails. And I was very surprised how well, how good responses I received from the researchers. Uh, they were very encouraging, like saying, you know, I really like what you're doing um, and uh, I respect you as a mother and all of those emails just gave me additional strength to fight even more. And I received an email from the Australian researchers, so the Dr. Lishek and Dr. Wendy Gould from the Children Medical Research Institute where they have a really big laboratory for making gene replacement therapy for rare genetic diseases and I thought you know this is a, a perfect match and we did a zoom meeting and they said that we are a good gene and that because we need to target the, um, the, the neurons in the brain and also because of the size of the gene and so this is when our uh, path started. And I knew that I have to develop a um, CTNNB1 foundation in order to collect money. So that was on my next list. <laughs> Yay, we're a good gene. <laughs> this just takes my breath away. I mean, like I actually noticed that I was holding my breath for a while during during this story because it's just amazing. I mean, from you being inspired by the story of another parent to banging down doors and to getting introduced to all of these amazing other parents who join in a Slack group and share their ideas and share their wins and share their fails. And everyone is just helping everyone. I mean, like it is the most amazing thing to see happen in our community and to just I'm so thankful for so many of the people that are just so giving of their time and their information and the work that you've put in, Spella, in the short amount of time and what you've accomplished, like, I know that some people who have already done this are going to completely understand what you've done, but it's hard for even me to. I know because I talk to people all the time who are doing what you're doing, but it's huge. And it's such a sacrifice that you've made for all 200 of us and for your family and for Urban. And I'm just in awe of you. And I think that... We are so lucky to have you in our group. Thanks, Cece. I mean, I, uh, it's, for me, it's not really sacrifice. I think I'm just doing it because I can't undo it. <laughs> you know, I was, <laughs> I, love that. I was looking so much for that story that Amber presented. I was, you know, without her and without parents like her in the Slack group, I wouldn't be here today and it just gives me so much meaning to life that, you know, I'm doing something and I'm doing the best that I can. And I'm so happy that we are a good gene. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy. <laughs> 
you know, we, know. We, we are, you know, we are doing the gene replacement therapy and we are also exploring some other gene approaches. So we are, we have currently a few other programs already also running, but my, my biggest hopes are on the gene replacement therapy because it's already in the clinics. And I think if this is going to work, we can expect a clinical trial in one year and a half. And also another good thing is that we are doing this philanthropically, so we won't sell it to the pharma. We will just give it to every child, to every doctor of a child who wants this. So, you know, I think it's just one thing it's worse than not having a gene therapy for your child. It's the worst thing is having a gene therapy trial and you can't afford it. <laughs> That's yeah. even worse. So, you know, I'm also working towards that. Nobody will have to buy this, that we are going to do this together. We are going to raise money for the production only, not for the pharma. Mm, I didn't know that part. Oh, okay. So the expected timeline, a year and a half until clinical trials. And then I know it's in Australia. Does that mean that uh, some of the families will have to go to Australia? Or is this something that can be done remotely and blood samples are just sent in? What are like the realistic sort of outcomes there? Yes, yeah, so the we don't really know how it's going to be, but the last time I spoke to an organization who is going to help us, so we got a really big organization who is going to help fund the clinical trial of gene therapy, which is the most expensive part. And they're also going to give us a free spot at the laboratory who is going to make a gene therapy, which you can wait for five to six years. So we got the free spot already. And they said that, you know, once the clinical trial is approved in Australia, they said it's good that it's Australia because their regulatory mechanism is a little more at ease. And they have also done it before. They said that it doesn't need to go through the government. So once the clinical trial is approved in Australia, you know, the doctor can apply for the, through the compassionate use for the gene therapy. Mm. And they can send it to United States, they can send it to Peru, they can send it to Spain, you know, whatever country they want. And it's just kind of a, 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 a drug that goes through the spinal cord. And I think the majority of the doctors, at least in the big centers, know how to do it. So, you know, the, the kids won't, won't have to travel to, to, to Australia to get it. Wow. Would you say that there's like way more or way less red tape with how without doing it in the US in general? Like, is that how you've also been able to get so much done so quickly? Or was that just sheer force and work? Yeah, I think it was also a little luck. It was also a little luck because, you know, I would I could be doing this for, you know, one year, two years, and I still wouldn't wouldn't got anyone. You also need to have luck for people to respond back. And uh, you also need to be a good gene, <laughs> which we are. <laughs> um, and also, you know, I actually did something like this in the past. So I already knew the path, how to get the emails and how to get the description and how to write to researchers. When I was younger, I think I was just finishing my, my master's degree. I decided I wanted to go to United States to do my practice, research practice there. And so I also got the, the, the best universities and their professors emails and I wrote 100, 200 researchers to United States. 
and I got a response from Stanford and they got me in. <laughs> Dang. So, you know, I got some practice with that. So this is just kind of a similar thing, um, writing to researchers. Um, I wasn't afraid of doing that because I was successful once. So yeah, I think that can be a stop point for people in so many areas of just being afraid to be told no, rather than just looking at it as a no and go to the next one. What are some of the mistakes that perhaps you made or things that you would do differently so far? Are there any or are you really proud of the success and the path that has happened and the luck, which I think is a lot of um, skill? But were there any things that you would do differently for someone who's maybe considering, you know, hearing this episode and having a fire lit under them like you were with Amber's episode? Mm, yeah, I think I would make an animal mouse model as soon as possible because it's it takes around nine months or to to be developed and we are now a little late because i was waiting for another university that promised me to develop a mouse model but was for some reason it was not possible to do the timeline that we agreed and you know so i was waiting and now i think just recently i got that mouse model to be made and it will take us eight nine months so if I would start again, I would probably do it at the beginning, but at the beginning it's hard to start because you don't know if you're going to get any gene therapy approach. So, you know, without any gene therapy approach, when the model is ready, who is going to take it? Mm. So it's a kind of a, it has both sides, but yeah, this, that, that is kind of a, the only thing I, I regret. Yeah, it's almost you couldn't do anything about it, though. Like you said, it's just one of those things that you you have to face at that moment and have to wait it out, I guess, when the time comes. How annoying. <laughs> Especially when you're on such a roll. Yeah, yeah, it's really annoying because things could move so fast for us. You know, if we would have a mouse model ready within two, three months, then we would probably have all the data ready to start the clinical trial by the next year, March, April. But it's okay, you know, it can't... I mean, if this is the only mistake that we're going to make, I'm happy. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, me too. Uh, so what are you most proud of so far? What has just like put pink in your cheeks from this experience so far? Hmm. You mean the research part or do you mean the part of you know, being Urban's mother? Mm, both. You know, I think when being Urban's mother, I'm seeing m motherly maternity a, a little differently. I'm, I think I'm more happy <laughs> uh, on a good days, on a good days. I'm more happy uh, because I'm observing the things I probably wouldn't observe before. Uh, even in Eva, in my uh, older daughter, I'm just so happy when she says, mom look look what i know look and then she's you know putting her legs up and down and <laughs> she's dancing and you know i'm looking her with different eyes now and also with urban i'm i think i'm very proud of myself that even with the worst case scenario you know having a child that have a disease of the brain you know the worst thing we are happy we i still consider us as a happy family and I think it's unimaginable for me a few years ago that I would still be happy with this, but yeah, we are. And regarding the gene therapy, it's, uh, I think 
it went together with the luck and with my effort and with the effort of the Slovenian researchers who have been with me from the day one and also from the other researchers in Australia. I think we are a very good team and we are we are moving towards the right direction. I love that answer so much. And I think everyone feels your heart there and just how amplified your gratefulness is. And yeah, looking back and thinking about what kind of parent you would have been before and it's unimaginable. It's just, it's amazing. It's amazing the power we have, <laughs> you know. These kids are amazing and they just push you beyond your limits in all the good ways. So what advice would you give to the person listening who's feeling encouraged or empowered to step up to the plate and see if they have a good gene? If you feel like there is something bothering you, <laughs> you know, if you feel like there is something that's telling you, you know, you should try it then you should definitely try it. You will meet so many amazing parents who are willing to help you day and night. They will do Zoom talks at impossible hours. They will send you all of their manuscripts for free. I was bugging the parents. I want to pay. I want to pay you. You're giving me so much. I was just so grateful for their uh, selfless help that I wanted to pay them. And they were saying, no, no, no paying. We give here each other for free. So it's a, an amazing community and I think even though you don't have any knowledge about uh, gene therapy, about your child's gene, you will find parents who are developing gene therapy, a lot of knowledge and they can, they can take you to places that you can learn by yourself. So if you feel a little, a little bug that's telling you that you need to do something, I, I encourage you to do it. Yes, trust your gut. And on a more personal note, what would you like the CTNNB1 families to know or how can they help you? Currently, we raised enough money to do the preclinical trials. So we raised almost half of the million dollars in two months. <laughs> so, yeah, so this is enough to cover the preclinical trials, but we need to raise more money when the preclinical trials are done to fund the clinical trial. And right now we have the Spanish association that is going to help us with that. But of course, you know, every parent can include in this part when we raise money for the clinical trial, because we are also raising money, not just for the kids that are involved in the clinical trial, but also for every other child in this world. So, you know, every, every child with CTNB1 syndrome that would like to go to the clinical trial could get the gene therapy. Well, I am just so grateful to know you. I'm so thankful that you're a CTNMB1 mom, and I don't know how I will ever repay you for all the work that you've done for our kids. I think every, every parent is born to do one thing, and I think you are perfect for this podcast that you're doing, and I know that you're helping many mothers, and you're also helping me when I listen to your podcast. Ugh. Thank you, Spella. Okay, well, I could talk to you forever. I love you so much. I know you're on vacation, but thank you so much for taking the time to walk me through all of this and learn a little bit more about your story with Urban. And I'm just, I'm just really proud to know you and I'm grateful for you for being my guest today. <laughs> thank you, Avi. Thank you very much for having me. And I enjoyed talking to you. Maybe we can repeat it. Yeah, I want to come to the seaside in Slovenia. <laughs> yeah, 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 you should definitely join and visit us. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. 
If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.